All right, before us this morning is Psalm 103, one of the more famous and well-known and well-beloved psalms in the Psalter. And I think as we get into it, we'll see that it has that reputation deservedly. But Psalm 103, this is one of the psalms of David. Um, We read part of Ephesians this morning for our New Testament reading. Uh, We also read part of the Song of David at the end of his life. I think, um, I hope that uh, you'll be able to see uh, some connection between all three of those passages. But it it strikes me that (laughs) Ephesians chapter 1 and the early part of chapter 2, I guess, too, in in many ways is a is a commentary on Psalm 103. The same themes, the same ideas, uh, repeated and developed uh, in Paul's letter. And I, I I can't help but think he had this psalm somewhere in his mind as he was writing those opening passages of his letter to the church in Ephesus. All right, so Psalm 103. I will read it for us. As always, this is the very word of the living God of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed, He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him, and His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep His covenant and remember to do His commandments. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you His angels, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Once again, so ends the reading of God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word. May it be planted in our hearts this morning, and may it bear fruit in our lives. As we come before it, let me once again briefly pray for us. O God, our Father in heaven, we now come before you to hear you speak to us through your word. We ask your blessing upon this time and that you would fulfill your very own promise that when your word goes out, it does not return to you void. Instead, it accomplishes what you purpose for it 
and is successful in the things for which you have sent it. May that be true here this morning and as the sermon goes out beyond these walls. For us, we pray that you would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear the things that you would have us learn this morning. And in so doing, make your word a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, so that we who once walked in darkness may walk according to the light. All this, Father, we ask in Jesus' wonderful, precious, and holy name. Amen. As I said earlier, the, the psalm we have before us, Psalm 103, is really one of the most loved of all the psalms and one of the most well-known I forgot to do a complete count, but there's at least four hymns in our hymn book, either that are a version of Psalm 103 or in some way based on this psalm. We've sung a couple of those already this morning. This psalm has been made into praise songs. Andre Crouch, you might remember, summarized it in two two lines. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And then he has done great things. He has done great things. Bless his holy name. You might have your own memories of the psalm. I have a couple. One is the pastor of the church that I grew up in as a teenager. Large church. We must have had 30 elders or more. And every time we had communion, they, of course, would serve it out to the congregation. And they'd come and bring their trays back and sit down in the two front rows of the pews. And the pastor would take a tray and go to each one of them in turn, which takes a while. It's 30, 40 people. (laughs) But partly to fill the void, I think, of time, he would recite Psalm 103 as he went down the row of elders. And so it kind of stuck in my brain from an early age. And then even more than that, when I was in a, a vocal ensemble in high school, the Christian high school I attended, We sang a version of Psalm 103. It was one of the prettier songs that we sang based on Scripture. and I I can still uh, remember most of of that song to this day. Psalm 103 is is beloved. Songs are written. Hymns are made. It's recited. It's remembered. And it's before us here this morning. I think one of the reasons it's so well-loved is, uh, of all the psalms, it's one of those that is basically, it's just pure praise. There's no laments, there's no uh, woe is me, there's no enemies to worry about, there's no prayers for vengeance or or God to deal with enemies. Um, We are praising God in this psalm. David is praising God and he calls upon us to do the same thing. The goal of this psalm is, and the call of this psalm is to come and praise the Lord our God. The praise is, is wonderful in itself, but I think what makes it even better and even deeper is how profoundly and how wonderfully and how beautifully the psalm gives us reasons to praise God. The reasons are incredible for praising God in this psalm. Again, I think it, it, it anticipates and foreshadows much of what Paul writes about in those opening verses of Ephesians. There's a little bit of similarity to Psalm 91 that we looked at last week. Um, Psalm 91 is a personal expression. God is my refuge. Um, And then there's that call uh, to make him your refuge. Here, 
And, and the call in that psalm is longer than the declaration of God being my refuge, the short declaration at the beginning, the long call in the middle. Um, here we have a long declaration of praise, my own personal praise, because this is David speaking to himself. Bless the Lord, my soul. Bless the Lord, all that's within me. Um, and then giving his soul reasons <laughs> to bless the Lord. That's the longer part. But still, there's a call to others to participate in that praise and worship at the end of the psalm. So a personal statement with a, an outward call are in both of these psalms that we've looked at the last couple weeks. Join with me, says David, in making God your refuge. Join me in making uh, the Lord God your, the object of your praise and of blessing. And then I think also Psalm 103 is, is in many ways an extended expression of the first question in our catechism. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Okay, great. How do I do that? Well, read Psalm 103. <laughs> this is how we glorify God. This is how we enjoy him. These are reasons to do so and, and how uh, to accomplish that chief end, that chief goal of each and every person on the face of the earth. Again, calling upon oneself to do it, but then calling upon others to do the same. I want to look at the psalm in, in three parts this morning, a little bit different than maybe some other ways people divide it, um, but three parts. Uh, the middle part has two themes or ideas. The first is just that call in verse 1 that David makes to himself, to his very own soul, to bless the Lord. And then for me, what I see in verses 2 through 19, a long section, are the reasons given for blessing the Lord. Kind of centered on two themes. One theme is that we should bless the Lord because of what he's done for us and what he knows about us. Bless the Lord for what he what he does and what he knows. And then the other theme is to bless the Lord just because of who he is. So I want to look at those things in verses 2 to 19. And then finally the psalm ends, I think, in verses 20 to 22 with this outward call, uh, not just to other men, not just to other people, but to the whole of creation itself to call upon the Lord and to bless him and to bless his name. So we'll look at each of those sections, if you will, in turn. Verse 1, treating it all by itself. This is line 1 of Andre Crouch's well-known praise song. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Three ideas repeated in this verse. The idea is a blessing. The word is not repeated, but the idea is there in the second half of the verse. Blessing, the covenant name of the Lord, his holy name, and the psalmist himself, his whole being. Those three ideas repeated for emphasis. The personal call upon himself that David makes to bless the Lord. Now think about blessing for a minute. What, what is a blessing and how do we apply blessing to God? Because that's something that, at least at first blush, doesn't quite makes sense. Because usually when we think of blessing, we think of God blessing us. Or we 
pray for a blessing upon others. And when we pray for a blessing on others, we're praying that God would bless them. Um, and we're thinking when we make those prayers, when we make the, those requests of, of God showing his favor to these people, uh, of God showing his kindness to them, his mercy. Uh, the desire that we have when we ask a blessing on people is that God would do good things for them and show kindness to them. Uh, when we are dismissed with a blessing, it's with the idea that we go with God's blessing, with his favor, with uh, his, his own intentions for good things for us as we leave the house of worship. Well, God doesn't need any of that. God is completely self-sufficient. And he certainly doesn't need his own favor or his own kindness because he's the source of favor and the source of kindness and the source of all that is good. So sometimes you'll see this Hebrew word translated instead of blessing as praise. Um, One problem with that is we've already got a very good word in Hebrew for praise, the word from which we get hallelujah, praise, praise God. Um, So we don't want to, I think, dilute things by by using a word that, you know, we've already got a good one. Um, So how do we bless God? What's being expressed here? And I think this is the difference. Those who praise God are even the enemies of God. Some of them are going to do so at that last day when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Even even the demons know who he is. Even the demons recognize he is. And in that recognition, there's an element of of, of fear to be sure. They tremble. Um, But even they have to recognize who he is and give him praise. But those who are enemies of God, it seems to me, can't truly bless God. When I think of blessing, when I, when I think of, of what a blessing means and why we pray for or wish a blessing on others, there, there's, a, there's a positive relationship between us. There's something that's already healthy and good between the two parties. Um, and those who are enemies of God can't really bless him because they don't like him. They don't want to wish good things for God. They don't want to wish a positive or favorable uh, outcome for the things that God has planned. And so blessing from an enemy doesn't quite make sense. Enemies don't want to give praise, but they do against their will. Blessing is something that's willfully and freely given uh, by contrast. So there's an element of praise in blessing, but it goes beyond that because I think there's an established relationship of of love and kindness and care and and wishing good things and hoping for and praying for good things for one another. As an aside, that what's, that's partly what makes Jesus' call upon us to bless those who curse us so radical. We're supposed to do something that's very much out of character, to wish good for those who wish harm on us. Um, those we don't have a good positive relationship with. So, to whom is, is David offering this, this prayer for blessing or, or praise? 
He offers it to the holy name of the Lord. Bless the Lord. Again, here we have in the Psalms the word Lord in, in small capital letters to signify Yahweh, the holy covenant name of God, the, the truly unknown name of God that's really unpronounceable. Yahweh is an approximation at best. Bless the Lord. And later it says, at the end of the psalm, bless his holy name. His holy name is that covenant name. So this is the person to whom David wishes to direct his blessing. He points to and he appeals to that covenant Lord God of Israel and of his people. So it's not just any God that he wants a blessing upon. It's not just any deity. It's the Lord God who has revealed himself specially to his people and entered into that special covenant relationship with him. Again, this is why I think blessing makes sense rather than mere praise. There's a mutual relationship with, here with God. He is our God and we are his people. He loves us and we love him in return. David's desire and the call that he places upon himself in is to bless the Lord with his whole being. And he expresses this two different ways. Bless the Lord, O my soul, the very essence of who I am. And that, that word has all that connotation and depth of meaning. And then to enhance that or to make it even more explicit, everything that's inside me, kind of literally it means all my insides, all, all my guts, <laughs> everything that I have, the very essence of my being. I'm, David is calling upon himself in every way, shape, and form to bless and praise the Lord his God. Nothing's left out then, and nothing is held back. There, there's no sense or possibility even of, of just going through the motions uh, of some sort of external worship or, or empty rituals or, or traditions. There's no sense here of, of David watching someone else as they worship a priest doing his rituals up behind a curtain or up on a podium or up on an altar in Jerusalem or what we do today as often as not in the evangelical world we watch a praise band we stand and sway a little bit and maybe clap and hum along a little bit but we watch worship has become non-participatory for much of the church today. And that's exactly the opposite of what David is talking about in this psalm. My whole being should be caught up in praising and worshiping God and offering blessing to Him. It's a wholehearted, personal worship that involves every part of his being. And, and that's a good reminder for us this morning, even just from the, from the first verse. When we come to worship, well, we should come to worship, not just sit and, and watch to actively participate, to sing and to pray and to listen attentively and to speak confessions and speak uh, words of, of uh, faith, not to sit back and do nothing while we watch others, professionals, do it for us. It's worship with our whole being. And it's worship. It's, it's praise. It's blessing. It's we don't come here for a lecture. We don't come for 
a how-to workshop on how to live my life better. We don't come here for a motivational speech or, or meeting. We come to bless God. We come to worship Him. We come to glorify Him and to praise His holy name. And of course, our worship is, is the object of, of worship that David is speaking about, the covenant God of his people. So we have to know who he is, and we have to know what he's done. He is that covenant Lord. It's his holy name that we bless. And David, I think, expands on this as he moves into verses 2 to 19. Why do we rise up and worship God? Why do we rise up and give him blessing? Well, he points to who that God is, and he points to what that God has done and what that God knows about us. So the primary idea, as we move into verses 2 to 19, is David giving his soul reasons to bless the Lord. Reason after reason after reason. This God has done things for us. This Lord knows who we are. And this Lord is something other than we are and worthy of our praise and our blessing. Some people see that as three things. I like two because I, to me, what the Lord does for us flows from what he knows about us. Those two things are intimately connected. And his person is something separate as a category. So for me, what the Lord does and, and, and what he knows about us are closely tied together. So what are the reasons David gives? The reasons he gives to his whole being in its innermost parts to bless the Lord. Well, there's several. And again, they are profound and they are wonderful for David. Think of, the, think of this. David is writing these things a thousand years before Christ. And yet you can see things in here, I hope to point out, that anticipate very profoundly and wonderfully the work of Christ himself. So if David can worship and bless the Lord for these reasons, how much more is that true for us? So he says in verse 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. It's good, it's necessary, if we're going to bless the Lord, if we're going to worship him, to give him praise, to remind ourselves, what is it he's done? What are the benefits that I've received from the Lord God. Or to put it another way, as I've said <laughs> a few times, we Christians need to hear the gospel as much as anybody else, if not more, to remind ourselves of what David is talking about here. Do not forget all of his benefits so that we don't become complacent in our worship, so that we don't become prideful and think we've done it all on our own, and so that we don't forget why we worship and who we worship. So what are the benefits? Verse 3, He forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. All your iniquity forgiven. Think about this from David's point of view, where he's sitting. We're going to talk here the next couple of weeks in our Sunday school time about Old Testament worship. The sacrifices are repeated over and over and over again. Every time David sins, he's got to make another sacrifice. And yet he somehow knows, he somehow understands that God is a God who forgives all of his sins. That's an incredible thing for David to realize, and I think not just a realization, but a prophetic statement as well. God forgives us. It's, 
important to remind ourselves of that powerful and wonderful truth because we forget it. It's easy even for Christians to forget that truth. And we get caught up in our sin and our struggle with sin. And, oh, I'm really falling into this habit again. I'm really falling into this sin. Maybe God really doesn't love me. Maybe I really don't love God. I keep doing it so often. How can God forgive me? So we need to be reminded, God is a God who forgives all of our iniquities. It's no accident that when we come into worship, we're reminded of that every week. We're reminded that we're sinners and we confess that truth, but then we have that assurance every single week from God's Word. It's not, getting, it's not coming from me. I can't give you assurance. Only God's Word can give you assurance. Your sins are completely forgiven. He heals all your diseases. Now again, we talked about this last week. Every disease, every single time, that's not what the psalm is getting at. But he does heal us. He is the great physician. And we can even look around this group here this morning, our extended family, our friends, other believers that we know, and we can give testimony after testimony, example after example of how God has healed us, how he has done great things and healed our, disease, our diseases. We see his healing power. Health, relationships, finances, job, relationships, all these things that God heals. He forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. Verse 4, he redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Being redeemed from the pit is a picture of of salvation from a place of destruction. The old uh, King James, he redeemeth thy life from destruction. For us, we know this is redemption from hell and redemption from the punishment of, of God that is due to us for our sins. God, who ought to punish us for our sins, is the one who redeems us from them, from his own destruction. And he doesn't just wipe the slate clean and bring us back to a state of, you know, kind of neutral territory or neutral ground. He, he raises us up. He lifts us up. He crowns us with steadfast love and mercy. Better than a crown of gold or silver, of jewels, a crown made up of God's own steadfast, unfailing love, his very own mercy. In Christ, he has loved us with a great love and been rich in mercy toward us, raising us from destruction in Jesus, just as Jesus was raised from death to life. And now, as you read further in Ephesians, from the reading we did this morning, now we are even seated in the heavenly places with him. Our sins are forgiven. We've been redeemed from God's own destruction and crowned by him, and now seated with him in the heavenly places. David's anticipating all these things, and I think that's incredible. David's understanding of these truths is powerful. He satisfies us with good so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. And we can speak again, over and over again, of the good things that God has done for us individually, in our families, as a church, as a country, In so many ways, God has satisfied us with good things. And when 
when you receive good things, you do get that little burst of energy. <laughs> there's that burst of good feeling, adrenaline. There's no accident. There's, it's, it's, not, it's part of the way we're made that kids are so excited to open presents. And all that energy. <laughs> Got to open it. it. It renews us. It gives us energy. When God gives us good things, we should have that same profound experience. Because we've remembered them. We've not forgotten his benefits. What else does the Lord do? Verse 6. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He makes things right and he does what is right for the oppressed. And this is a theme we've seen in the other psalms that we've looked at. He takes vengeance for those oppressed by enemies. He makes things right. But we've also talked about how, in, in many ways, we're our own worst enemy because of our own sin. And so God worked righteousness for us in that situation as well, declaring us righteous in Christ, making us righteous through the work of His Holy Spirit. The Lord works that righteousness in us. David saw this in one way, and I think we see it in a deeper way, through Christ. Verses, or verse 7, he's revealed himself to us. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. Showed himself and what he did for his very own people. David is recalling to his mind the whole Torah, the first five books of the Bible. The story from creation to the people being brought out of the land and wandering in the wilderness and on the verge of moving into the promised land as Moses dies. He's remembering these works of the Lord. God has revealed himself to us. And look at the powerful ways from creation to the flood to the promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to the deliverance of the people from famine to rescuing them out of the land of slavery and bondage to bringing them to the brink of the promised land. David's remembering these things. He's made known his ways to us. We've seen his acts to his people. And we can say the same thing. He's made known his ways to us in his word. And he's shown his acts to us and how he treats his people. The church of Jesus Christ. Verses 8 and 9 tell us that he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, that he does not always chide, nor does he keep his anger forever. Again, we see this in the history with Israel. You move on from the verge of entering into the promised land through the whole history of Israel, conquering the land, possessing the land, the falling away during the time of the judges, the kings come along, they continue to rebel, they go back and forth between good and bad kings. God is patient. He's slow to anger. And over and over again, he reminds the people through the prophets of his patience with them. And we see that as well. These aren't just Bible stories. They're not just life lessons on how to be a Daniel or how to be like David, although those can be helpful. But they show us the character of God, of his love and care and patience, mercy and grace shown to his people over and over and over and over 
over generations and even centuries. And again, if God did this for the people of Israel, how much more does he do it for the church, the members of the new and better covenant? Verses 10 through 13 expand upon this idea. He doesn't deal with us according to our sins. He doesn't repay us according to our iniquities. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. He doesn't deal with us according to our sins. He doesn't repay us according to our iniquities. Scripture says that God must punish the guilty. He will by no means let the guilty go unpunished. So how can this be true? Well, David's seen it in the forgiveness that he received, in the pardon that he received. We see it in the reality of Christ. Christ got what we deserved. And so we are not repaid according to our sins or our iniquities. Because his love is his steadfast love, is as high as the heavens are above the earth. And he removes our transgressions as far as the east is from the west, which is infinite. You pick a globe, any spot on the globe, and go east. And you just keep going east. And you never stop going east. That's not true about north and south. You go north, and sooner or later you're going to get to a point where you start going south. But east, you just keep going east. West, you just keep going west. Think about that. Your sins are removed from you an infinite distance. (laughs) That's powerful. Again, he forgives all your iniquity. He removes it as far as the east is from the west. Who are we then to mourn and be fearful and wallow in our sins because we have this loving Father who shows compassionate love to his unruly, disobedient children. And David, a thousand years before Christ, knows this truth. He sees the shadows of it in the atoning sacrifices for sin made through bulls and goats. If David sees this, how much more do we see it? Whose sins, we are told, were nailed to the cross with Christ killed there, and died with him. Do you believe that? Do you remember it? Do you remind yourself of it? Or do you let yourself get caught up in guilt over your sins, fearing God's punishment? Or do you remember the words that Paul writes elsewhere, that in Christ there is no condemnation, none, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Or the words of Jesus himself, the one that the Son sets free is free indeed. Freedom. More powerful and more precious than anything that William Wallace ever died for. Do we ignore sin? Do we treat it lightly? Well, of course not. But we no longer fear God's punishment because it's removed, it's gone. So we seek his help to remove its presence in our lives. Need more reasons to bless the Lord than what he's done for us? 
He's a Lord who knows us. 14 to 16. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He knows our frame. He knows our shape. He knows the way that we are formed. Remembers that we're dust because he's the one who made us out of dust. He knows how fragile and how limited our days are. Like grass that flourishes like a flower of the field, but when the wind passes over, it's gone and its place is no longer known. We're like the grass or the wildflowers that spring up for a brief period of time and then die away. David would have seen this in the wilderness around Israel. It was very common. And we have a very similar situation here. Right about March, you see the grass grow green on the hills. And as you drive through the countryside, uh, if you have that opportunity, you see wildflowers blooming. And it's beautiful. But the, the hot weather comes, the dry weather comes, and I tell you, by April or May at the latest, it's brown and dead and gone. That's how God sees us. That's how we are in relation to God, how limited we are. This is man from God's perspective, weak and fragile, limited, finite creatures. And what the psalm is saying is, is not, to, not to put us down or make us feel bad, but to say God knows this, and because he knows this, this is why he's worked so hard to help you. Because he knows you need that help. He knows how weak we are. And in that weakness, he comes to aid and help us. Well, then finally, in 17 to 19, we're, we have reason to bless the Lord, not just because of what he's done and what he knows about us, but because of who he is, his very character. He's a God of steadfast love that is from everlasting to everlasting. It never ends. And righteousness to his children's children, to those who trust in him and keep his covenant and do his commandments. His throne is established in the heaven and his kingdom rules over all. This is a description of the God, the Lord that we are to bless, who knows us and who has done good things for us. Giving his righteousness to generations that follow David, possibly here thinking of the promises to Abraham and the generations to follow him, or maybe even the warning and the promise that we read from the second commandment this morning that those who do not worship God properly are cursed to the third and fourth generation, but blessed to thousands of generations, to those who fear God and keep his commandments. We saw that last week expressed as we brought these two beautiful little twins for baptism. The hope, the faith expressed in the parents that this blessing would extend to their children and even to their children's children and to many generations to come. But we bless and praise God also because he is king and he rules over everything. David knew this. Remember from Psalm 110, he looked forward to the day when it would be a reality in the son who would sit upon the throne when all of his enemies are made his footstool. All this is David reminding himself to bless the Lord. A reminder that we can take for ourselves as well and remind ourselves to bless the Lord, but then he finishes by calling upon all things to bless the Lord. 
like David, remind yourself, but like David also, call upon others to come and bless the Lord with us. He calls upon the mighty angels who do the work of the Lord to bless the Lord. All the hosts of the Lord, think armies there. And all his ministers who do his work, think, I don't know, something like civil servants. This encompasses all of God's people, some who serve offensively to advance the cause of the Lord in his kingdom, but some who serve within the kingdom to do his will, serving him and serving others. Even God's works bless him. Even the places of his dominion bless him. I think here not only is there again a history of what God has done, but a broader reference to all of creation. His works themselves bless him. And what does creation do but speak to us about God and his work and bring blessing and praise to him? Do you see that revelation? Do you see those works? Do you see his dominion? Then join his army. Enter into his service. And David ends where he begins with himself. Bless the Lord, O my soul. It's a call to others to bless the Lord and an example to them of how they should bless the Lord. David is not willing to call others to do what he's not willing to do himself. So there's that reminder at the end of the psalm. So these thoughts, as as we get to the end of the psalm, is, is God your covenant Lord? Have you repented of sin? Have you believed and trusted in Jesus? and his work to remove that sin from you as far as the east is from the west, then great. Let your soul bless the Lord. And indeed, bless him, worship him, praise him with all of your being. If not, well look. Look at the Lord. Look at his work from creation to all the things that he's done as we see it in his word. Understand who he is. Understand what he's done. And before it's too late... Admit your sin, confess it, receive the work that he's done for you in Jesus, and join yourself in service to him. But the word of this psalm goes out to us and to all who hear it. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, for he has done great things. Let me pray for us. God, our Father, we do thank you for all that you have done for us, that you know us. We thank you that you are a God of steadfast love and a God who rules and reigns over all the earth. Equip us for your service. Lead us and guide us by your word and by your spirit. Bless us and receive the humble blessing that we offer in return. We ask all of this, as always, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.